Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian interview series. I'm Fiona Sutherland, dietitian from Melbourne, Australia and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I interview dietitians from all over the world who are experts in health at every size, the non-diet approach and mindfulness-based practice. These are a collection of interviews by a dietitian for dietitians and nutritionists so that we can build a strong community of wonderful professionals who share an inclusive vision of well-being for everybody in everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to this super special episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. I am absolutely thrilled, very excited to today bring you my interview with the wonderful Tara McGregor. So for those of you who are not familiar with Tara, she is such an incredible colleague and very dear friend of mine uh, who is based in Sydney. So Tara is not only a dietitian, she is also a therapist, a very experienced therapist as as luck for us would have it, and uh, owns her own business called taramcgregor.com and also Practice Pavestones where you can sign up to a monthly newsletter and get all kinds of wonderful information from the world of counselling skills and in particular motivational interviewing. So for those of you who are based in the US, um, the best kind of comparison I can give you is that Tara is our Aussie version of Molly Kellogg. That's kind of the best kind of way I can describe Tara. So Tara is not only very wise and very, very thoughtful, she's also very generous. She shares her knowledge and wisdom here in a way that is unique to Tara and she is so very loved and adored by us Australians. So um, so for those of you who haven't checked out Practice Pavestones, that's available via her website, which is www.taramcgregor.com. Remembering that McGregor is M-A-C-G-R-E-G-O-R. Yes, that is correct, dot com. Uh, so sign up for her monthly newsletter and you'll be able to get uh, regular doses of goodness that way. So if you haven't joined us yet on our closed Facebook group, then please do so. There's, um, you know, we have lots of giggles together and there's lots of amazing resources to share and um, it's just a wonderful place where you can feel really at home using the non-diet approach, health at every size and any mindfulness-based approaches. So I look forward to seeing you on our Facebook group and I really hope you enjoy this interview. It was... Um, we just had a lot of fun doing it and I could talk to Tara just forever, really. Um, she's absolutely one of my favourite people in the whole entire world and you'll get to hear why. Hope you love it. Okay, Merry Christmas everybody. This is the last episode for 2017. Good afternoon, Tara. How are you today? I'm well, thanks, Fee, and thanks so much for inviting me to come along onto the podcast and talk with you today. Oh, my gosh. Well, I've basically been hassling you for, uh, well, <laughs> most, most of 2017, and as we speak, it is almost Christmas, so, yeah. That's right. We were very lucky in that we snuck this in before we ended up missing our deadline. <laughs> exactly. We did say by the end of the year, so here we are, mid-December. Hello, yes, everybody. That's right. <laughs> 
so for the people um, who are listening, who mm-hmm. for some reason have been living under a rock and do not mm-hmm. know um, who you are, what you do and what you're most passionate mm-hmm. about, do you mind mm-hmm. uh, telling us a little bit about you, your work and your life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, um I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> I'm not going to start there. Essentials, essentials. So, uh, yeah, essentials. So I, um, I, well, let's see now. I graduated in 1991 and I'm not going to give you a blow by blow year, year, year by year breakout down, but I guess that sort of pick, um, gives some context into how long I've been kicking around uh, working as a health professional in, with various d- different hats on. I, I guess my where I am in my current um, occupation and career and, and profession is I've been in private practice now for about uh, 13, 14 years or so and specialising in assisting people who are experiencing disordered eating of some form or another um, within the capacity of, of dietetics but also in counselling and psychotherapy as well as I'm qualified to deliver both services. Um, and I, as I have been working in that area, I've become um, more and more interested in um, what it is that we're doing when we're delivering effective work um, in, in either of those spaces and also in where those spaces intersect. So if you can imagine in your mind's eye a Venn diagram of dietetics and counselling and psychotherapy, where is that middle bit that overlaps and what is it that potentially psychotherapists and counsellors could learn from dietitians. But I guess most of my work is in translating the really useful and practical aspects of counselling for dietitians um, and, um, and to provide that in the form of professional supervision uh, and also in the form of training as well. So I provide counselling skills training to lots of different health professionals now, but it started off with just dietitians. Um, and in the last few years, I've even sort of specialised that further to really focus principally on motivational interviewing, which I think is a really, um, it's a really beautiful uh, kind of uh, conversation style for relating with people who come to us for assistance mm. in a way that really supports their autonomy in the change process and, and gives us a really nice scaffolding for doing effective work. So, um that's yeah that's where I find myself uh, working at the moment in kind of juggling those three areas so training professional supervision and then direct client contact as as well in in the scope of my private practice that's so awesome so um, for those of you who have not attended Tara's training I'm just going to perhaps embarrass Tara just for a second (laughs) and uh, no pressure anyone but uh, I would suggest that you squirrel away your leave your money your time your babysitting whatever you need to do and get your hot little butt across to um, wherever you can see Tara because I was sharing with Tara just prior to us starting to record that in my um, uh, middle age, perhaps, um, professionally, I'm becoming very, very fussy with my uh, professional development and supervision. And by fussy, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. I think that my expectations around delivery and content are really high. And I kid you not, um, the best workshops I have ever been to have been yours, Tara, because what you provide so beautifully is a safe 
space and a brave space where you invite participants to be able to um, to be able to share and grow and learn and explore uh, what it is for us to be sitting with others so whether others are you know having a, a, a fairly good time of it or which is more the case whether they're not whether they're having a pretty rough time of it so to be able to really have that ref reflective space where we're able to um, you know, keep an eye on ourselves as well as being able to care for the people that seek our service. So on behalf of everybody, thank you for such oh, great you. workshops. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Faye. That's lovely feedback to get. But it, it, is, uh, it is a joy to teach. I, I do love it. Um, and I have to say it, is, it takes two to tango. My teaching style, because it is experiential and reflective, it wouldn't fly if I didn't have a room full of fantastic participants. It just wouldn't. It would fall flat on its face. So whatever I've been able to achieve, you know, it, it's because of who comes along and gives their all to those days, right? So um, I feel uh, extremely fortunate to find myself in these situations where a room full of really engaged and interested people who don't mind being poked. <laughs> <laughs> In the most in the most friendly way possible. <laughs> Here you go, have a poke and I'll follow that with a scone. How's that? Here, have a scone and a cup of tea. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, so in your time um, as a dietitian and psychotherapist, and particularly as you are preparing to um, to develop and run these trainings, what have you noticed mm -hmm. about the way that dietitians have been engaging more in um, in in wanting to understand more about the psychotherapeutic um, model? And um, you know, what have you noticed? I guess over the past say ten years. Oh, well, it's fascinating how it's just growing and growing and growing as dietitians become much more interested in eating being about behaviours, not necessarily about the science of nutrition. Mm. So, uh, you know, and I think that it, it's just been a natural, organic consequence of people, dietetics, evolving into this space where we've really appreciated most certainly in the last decade the limitations of applying nutrition as a science to our clients who are coming to us with experiential issues with behaviours. Mm. Um, and so it's a totally different mindset because when we're delivering information about data, typically that sits in an educatory space, which mm. is I'm an expert and you're not. Um, However, when we're facilitating behaviour change, well, you know, the difference between that and education is, is vast. Um, but, you know, of course, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, when I started to work with behaviours with my educatory hat still on, I wondered why I was failing yeah. <laughs> and mm -hmm. feeling terrible. <laughs> mm. So, um, and... Uh, so it's it's like starting to wake up to things perhaps what I was taught to do to help people change actually isn't what does help people to change and I think um, what I'm noticing certainly in the last uh, few years or maybe five years or so is dietitians being and other health professionals too but let's keep it to dietitians here being much more curious about so what actually does help? Because I'm feeling like this is not going in the right direction. Yeah. 
Yeah, it feels like it feels like maybe this has been a move that has strengthened our our profession in so many ways and also has given us an ability to be able to express and explore our own vulnerabilities and our own experiences um, mm-hmm. in a way that can only help us as individuals and groups and communities and as a whole profession mm-hmm. grow. So it's been interesting to almost watch this tension you know the tension between the science and then the art and i know you've got you know some beautiful thoughts about what we do as being an art as opposed to you know just a science yeah absolutely and and just picking up on what you're saying there about how this cannot but impact us as as people the person of the professional um, because I guess when we're working from a client-centered perspective where, where our foundational philosophical underpinnings is typically the work of Carl Rogers and he's encouraging us to be immediate with our clients, to be our transparent with our clients, to be self-knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and these, these are things that uh, mean we're not putting a white coat on anymore. Yeah. Yes, of course, we do need to observe professional boundaries and, and we're not there to befriend our clients. Um, but it's if I'm here as a whole person, that is what will actually facilitate um, this style of client-centred working with my client where I'm being quite real. Yes. Um, and uh, whilst I might not share my vulnerabilities with my client, I'm certainly, I've got one eye open to them as I am with my client. Yeah. If that sort of makes sense. Oh, yeah, it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you're mm-hmm. aiming to really track your own experiences while tracking the experience of another person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And this, I, I, I don't know about you, Fee, but I wasn't taught to do that at uni. Uh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> No. <laughs> Although I, I could have been at the pub. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? So, yeah, that could have been. So, um, um, so I, I think, well, yeah, sorry, keep so, going. No, I was just going to ask, I, I wanted you to pick up on um, the words client-centred practice because I feel sure. like sometimes, um, you know, maybe we, trip over a little bit when it comes to this particular phrase and Mm. I'll I'll ask you a direct question how's this okay so true or false Mm. and and why um oh my god now I'm feeling nervous (laughs) oh no this is not a quiz there's no buzzer there's no buzzer don't feel under pressure so um client-centered practice is doing what my client wants true false and why now let me just slow that down client-centered practice is me, the professional, doing what my client wants. Right. Is that, is that what you asked? Yeah. No, 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 no. Correct. Huh? No, you win a thousand dollars and a free trip in a mini. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. False. Mm-hmm. And now you want me to say why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think this can be a misconception of client-centered practice. Um, uh, you know, another misconception sounds a little bit like, but the client told me that they wanted me to tell them what to do. Mm. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm being client centered. Um, so I, I guess, um, um, 
I'm, I'm just letting myself sort of percolate with this a, a little bit. So you'll see me sort of going on and on and all of that. No, but you take it, your time. It's, I guess, I guess what comes to mind is that when we're working client-centred, the first thing to be appreciative of is where the power sits, right? And it, this is a partnership. This is a collaborative arrangement where there is a power sharing between the practitioner and the client. And I, I guess in, in one way, therefore, that answers your question in, in that it's not like the client has all the power either. Mm. I mean, ultimately they have, they have, they certainly are to be respected to have complete autonomy in the change process, of course. But in terms of this alliance that they're forming with the practitioner, it's not that then the practitioner suddenly becomes um, a performing puppet. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the client is also making space for entering into a relationship where there is a shared sense of what this conversation, for example, is going to be about. Yeah. Um, and that there's a sharing of that. Um, and... I'm wondering if is that going in the direction that that you're thinking that you wanted to be talking about there? Is that yeah, absolutely. Is that, is I, that I think making it, sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, I think mm-hmm. what, what we're really talking about is you know some of the misconceptions about um, what the words client-centered practice actually do mean. And what you've done yeah, yeah. beautifully is drill down on what it is mm-hmm. and then what it isn't. Because um, mm-hmm. what we're seeing, mm-hmm. oh, I, I see it repeatedly actually where the definition of client-centered practice is seen to be that which the client wants so uh, you know mm-hmm. to, to, mm-hmm. you gave one really great example and that is the client wanted me to tell them what to do what to eat when to mm-hmm. eat the client wanted a mm-hmm. meal the meal mm-hmm. the meal plan you know mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the second really common one is the client wants me to help them lose weight Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. client-centered practice is, well, if that's what the client wants, then I, sh- mm-hmm. quote yeah. unquote, should I will deliver that. I would, that yeah, this yeah. is what I will deliver. Um, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. and so, what you've done beautifully there, Tara, is just explain that client-centered practice is about, um, is about autonomous, um, mm-hmm. an autonomous relationship where neither mm-hmm. party has all the power nor has none of the power but that Mm -hmm. in client-centered practice we're also calling on um, ethical practice as well Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and um, you know and and uh, um, you know what may be most helpful for this person in this circumstance in this time Um, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of because of course our clients like us we mm-hmm. only know what we know and sometimes mm-hmm. we do need um more information or new information or for mm-hmm. things absolutely to be, you know presented in a different way yeah 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 absolutely uh, and of course i i think also the um you know what 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 you're really amplifying there is that is a, appreciating that client-centered work doesn't mean we become the performing seal so this is a shared arrangement of understanding about what you are capable of delivering within your scope of practice and with also within your ethical boundaries. Um, 
and um, and that the client then can then make an informed consensual decision on whether they will proceed with the help that you are able to provide or not. Mm-hmm. So it's like giving the practitioner um, permission to be to be setting those parameters on the work that they're able to deliver um, with, with the welfare of the client in mind, and that is absolutely paramount. Into in the client-centered arrangement, that yeah. that the practitioner is setting these parameters because they are keeping the welfare of the client central to the alliance. Yes. So that so that that is the underpinning of the boundary setting. Right? Yeah. Um, and I I I think to oh gosh my head was going somewhere and now I've lost it. Um, I I think too that in pure like pure, pure gold, you know, what we might call gold standard, but I, I'm thinking more pure client-centred work. What is and was in particular um, absolutely following the client, but that's in a psychotherapeutic context. That's in a counselling context. And when we're working as dietitians, for example, we have a different scope of practice. Um, we are there to um, contain this conversation um, within certain boundaries and we are typically there to provide support around um, eating behaviours, for example, or food selection or however you want to put it. So uh, this is where I borrow heavily from motivational interviewing, which suggests to us that it's not pure client-centred work, although it is profoundly informed by client-centred philosophy. It's not pure client-centred work that we're doing. It's more of a guiding style, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it doesn't go all the way down to the other end of the spectrum, which is directive medical model. It's somewhere in between a directive style and a pure client-centred following style, which MI puts forward as, as this really beautiful guiding style where we keep coming in and tuning into the client we're also providing a scaffolding to the conversation that keeps it within what we need to be discussing. And, of course, if the client objects to that, then that's what you talk about, right? So, yeah, it's, it's, there are layers to this. Yeah. And what you're illustrating so beautifully there, Tara, is is why the non-diet approach and health at every mm. size is such a great match for MI because, mm. you know, you use the word guidance, you use the word um, scaffolding and it's like, oh, I recognise those words um, mm. you know, from, you know, from, from non-diet approach and from the principles that underpin the whole model. Um, so I think that's, you know, as what I'm noticing is the more the dietitians are becoming interested and passionate about, mm. um, you know, non-diet, ways of working it lends itself so beautifully to um you know to the therapeutic style of motivational mm-hmm. interviewing the other thing mm-hmm. that was really occurring to me as you were talking is that um the great thing about um mi as a therapeutic kind of um, model or um therapeutic what would you say is it, it's not a model so much it's a no, you know, I really stumble over this one. Mm. You know, what I call it is a conversational style. Style. Yep, there you go. Conversational style. I just love style. it. Lovely. I just love that. Yeah, yeah. That's lovely. Thank you for that. That's awesome. Um, mm. Is that, uh, you know, when, when we intersect, intersect the conversational style with, the, with mm. um, non-diet principles, what that also invites us to do as practitioners is also stay open to when we are 
really providing a space for autonomy and for um, for informed consent that yeah that the, the, the great thing is that we can also stay open to the cultural context of in which people are making their decisions. So, for example, mm -hmm. if we had a, if we had, if we were living in a cultural, yeah, sorry, if we were living in a culture which regarded all bodies as being equally valuable, equally worthy, um, equally, mm -hmm. you know, um, worth taking care of, and and access to healthcare, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then you would mm -hmm. then then people's um, desires for or drives for for example weight loss or for surgery you know it might be really different <laughs> um whereas mm -hmm. people, people's horrendous experiences when they go to the doctor really heavily mm -hmm. informs um mm -hmm. and life heavily informs mm -hmm. the context in which they are making decisions so i'm interested in your thoughts on that as well you know kind of the cultural overlay mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well context is is well, context is everything. <laughs> really is. In, in in so I guess part of my for a client who is presenting for my assistance who is extremely committed to continuing to do whatever it takes to change their body. Mm. Um what 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 I want to do before anything is understanding the world in which that desire sits. Yeah, beautiful. So so the world beyond, and I'm not. Uh, I get the bigger world in which that desire sits, but I'm interested in the client's world in which that desire sits, um, and that kind of um, uh, that ecosystem, you know. Um, the ecosystem of the family, family of origin, workplace, um, financial pressures, um, intimate relationships, sexuality, all of those things um, which are going to feed into what the client perceives as a necessity to be different physically. Yeah. Mm. Um, and rather than panicking that I need to convince them that that's not the way to go. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. So you're mm -hmm. really trying to understand their experience and what has, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, what has really, what what does their Petri dish look like, <laughs> basically? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. Uh, precisely. And, and to not feel that I need to fix that mm -hmm. because... The storytelling of that ecosystem will, in itself, no doubt, reveal opportunities for to challenge thinking, right? Um, and and to you know to just kind of let it be. And I guess in, in that in that way, that part of what we might call the engagement with the client, I'm just very at ease with it being totally client led. And to not feel that um, I need to jump in there and do anything fancy. Yeah. Um, be because just allowing that client to have their reality can be extremely empowering for them um, to then start to feel that they might like to look at alternatives because chances are they're going to be telling you all the ways that this way of thinking doesn't work for them anyway. Even yeah, though that's they so true. You know, even though they think they still should be doing it. Yeah. 
are you listening out for those wise voices that are implicit in the storytelling? You know? So, what great mm. tips! Yeah, listen for those wise, wise voices implicit in the storytelling. Yeah. Oh, Tara, yeah. see, I always come away from conversations with you with about 10 memes, you know, those classic Tara-isms. <laughs> you, you're all right like, me. Yeah, my, my, my kids think it's hilarious that I might be in a meme. <laughs> <laughs> you know you've made it when you're in a meme. <laughs> exactly. It's like, yeah, totally made it. Oh, goodness. So, um, but I, I, I guess those... You know what is speaking to you, Fee? Is like you know, like meme worthy. Yes, it's a memeable. Um, are those gems that that we, we universally recognise as practitioners when we're trying, uh, when we're when we're laying the burden down of being the big fixer, right? So true. And and um, you know what you're picking up on is just stuff that you've already, you know, you, you, you get, you're doing it, right? And um, there's a universal truth that I think just organically, I think they're in us anyway. I think they get taught out of us when we're told we have to be an expert. Mm. Um, you know, and I, one thing that I keep being, I could not be reminded enough of in the training that I deliver and also in the supervision that I provide is how you know how it how implicitly wrong it feels to actually give advice um, when we practice it in the training in a really amplified way everyone hates it and you know there are reasons why we do it and I won't go into all those reasons now but what's relevant to our conversation is that it really helps each attendee of the training get in touch with how they're actually not naturally wired this way necessarily anyway. It like feels so wrong to be directing somebody to do something that we think will fix them. Mm. It's just when we go through our, you know, classical traditional educatory training, we're marked on, we're only passed if that's what we do. That's very true. That's you know? so true. And yes. so we actually lose what we or we bury or we overlook or we whatever we hide what we actually already had on board that is potentially going to be more helpful for our clients mm. and part of what what I, what here's my personal opinion here all of this is personal opinion is is what am i helps us to do or or other good clients into training is to actually just tap into our founda foundational qualities any, you know, that were already there. I actually feel much better when I put the talking stick down. I feel much better when I give my clients space to find their own solutions. I feel much better when it's not up to me to come up with all the brilliant ideas. Yeah. I feel much better when it's my job to trust the client will know. Yeah. And and it's it's just re in it's like re-remembering or re-meeting what we already had in the first place yeah so yeah. true yeah mm, it's, it's so I, lovely because i think i think we've got this as human beings particularly if we if we're moving into helping professions my god it's not for the money and it's not for the you know it's not <laughs> really it's not for the perks right <laughs> it's not for the perks no so it's not for the perks not for the money so we're you know, maybe some people get in 
because they want to be an expert and they want to tell people what to do. But by and large, people get into it. They just want to be genuinely helpful. And I think, I think as, I think as human beings, we actually have a knowing about that in our DNA and it's making space for that to shine in, in, in good practice. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Mm. It's also, um, it's, I've heard of uh, quite a few dietitians after they um, are feeling a lot more confident with working with mm. um, more client-centred, in, in a client-centred way. Mm-hmm. They say, mm-hmm. I just feel like a nicer person. <laughs> like I just, yeah. you know. Yeah. I feel like a nicer person. Yeah, I think, that's such know, a, you know, I'd want to hear... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd want to hear, you know, I'd want to hear so much more about that. You know, what's that like? What is that like? What's it like in your body? What's it like in your breath? For you as that practitioner right then and there with that client feeling like a nicer person, if you were to just soak in that, right, swim in it, put your head right under it, like what, tell me about the juice of that. Mm. Because what if we got there? Surely that's burnout prevention. <laughs> oh, Surely yes. that is longevity in yes. our chosen careers. Yeah. Being able when to I'm doing this, I feel better, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being mm-hmm. able to nourish ourselves, being able to understand. Yeah. Well, this kind of loops back to what we we're talking about before is, you know, noticing and tracking our own experiences and then understanding how, you know, every human brain is wired in a way that where we want to support and nurture and you know mm-hmm. we, this is how we're wired we want to connect we don't want yeah people to absolutely turn away yeah we're we're relational creatures right and and our social engagement brain is highly regulating in what i mean by that is is that you know one of the things that you can do as a therapist sitting across a very dysregulated client is ask them to look you in the eye, right? Now, I'm not talking about high beam gaze. I'm talking about a gentle and accepting kind of gaze and that eye-to-eye contact, it, what it does is fires up the social engagement brain and the next thing, that, that anxiety starts to settle down a little bit. Well, gosh, that's really interesting, isn't it? <laughs> you know? We are profoundly relational and what helps us to feel better is when we are in relationship. That, of course, is safe and all of those other things. You know, I'm taking that as a given. Um, And so when we're operating as health professionals where we feel that it is a relational uh, kind of context or a relational um, kind of thread or theme, then... I believe we too are going to feel better than than a dominance kind of theory where we must be over or bigger than or better than. Yes. And I I think, and when I mean better than, I mean more knowledgeable than or whatever else. And I don't think we go into the profession wanting that or or that we explicitly tell ourselves that when we're doing it. I just think it's the medical model Mm -hmm. and what it sets up. Mm Mm-hmm. I think we don't know any other way and when we don't know mm-hmm. any other way we just we tend to just to repeat what we know mm-hmm. even when exactly deep, deep down deep down we don't feel good about it and there's lots of ways yes. in which I think you know goodness 
I actually don't know how, I don't know the stats around how many people actually drop out of the profession within, say, mm. two years of graduation or five years of yeah, graduation. Yeah. Well, um, I've I, got a colleague, a colleague and I have looked. We can't find it anywhere. Interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. It's like, it's like a big secret. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you're heading down where, where, where what I was thinking as well is that it, it, I think, I think it's a tragic amount it of people oh. who lose, right? Yeah. Good people. Good, yeah. you know, people exactly. with, you know. Sensitivity. Who, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I, I know you, you would have definitely heard this. I've heard it um, numerous, more times than I can count, um, from, from folk who um, are either new grads or um or haven't been graduated that long say you know within five years or people you know up to 10 15 20 years later just going i mm. just can't i feel like i can't do this anymore and then mm. i came across mm. either health at every size or non-diet or mi or mm. something mm -hmm. which caught my attention and really, really grasped my heart like really spoke yeah. to me in a way that yeah yeah that really brought me alive again. And I just, oh my Lord, it just, it almost, I actually feel quite emotional, you know, if, if even thinking about it and thinking, oh my gosh, mm. th this is, this is how, uh, you know, our training needs to be really heart centered, yeah. not just brain centered. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That the two work in concert. Um, and, you know, if we're, oh gosh, there's so many directions I could go in right now, but, you know, if, if we are inviting the heart in to complement the brain, right, and, and we're using the heart in metaphorically, we cannot but invite the body, you see. Yes. And yeah. I, I didn't, I wasn't trained to be a dietitian with a body. I was, told, I was taught to be a dietitian with a brain. And, and I, I my, my own story is of a massive burnout. And I actually left dietetics about eight, nine years into my career. And I thought, oh, stop, never going back to that. What a load of horribleness clean language there right i was gonna say you're being very polite <laughs> this is the most polite i've ever heard you <laughs> <laughs> oh, so dear. yeah what a load of horribleness um and you, you know my story's you know is not an uncommon one no, not at all and you know when i share that story in my training i often get people in the break come up and say thank you for saying that right it's burnout is like not talked about anywhere near enough and you know how we're i was really primed to burnout i because you know one of my uh, one of the supervisors i had as an intern you know i remember it was a very formative experience where she really didn't she, we, we, i observed her meet with an extremely up, upset client and and um she continued on with her education regardless of the client's experience of that education um like as we were saying brilliant head i mean my her education was stunning right but brilliant head but unfortunately she wasn't allowed to tap into her heart and I observed this and because I, that's what I observed her do in the face of a client who wasn't on the same page, I continued to do that because I had no alternative, right? And so I did that and did that and did that until there was nothing left of me. And it wasn't until, you know, I, was, I, I left and I started studying counselling and psychotherapy and it wasn't until I, I had to return to dietetics for money that I realised that it was possible to do dietetics in a different way um, and in a way that 
was better for the client and also better for me as well. Yeah. Um, and I guess then, you know, wow, that was like 1998. Now here I am all these years down the track, finally being able to share what I feel I wish I'd known myself. Right? Yeah. 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 Kind what of comes full circle. But, yeah. but can I share a little quote that stood out to me um, just just recently? It's actually from a book on supervision. Beautiful. That, you know, you and I are supposed to be talking about, you know. Oh, yeah. We'll get there. We'll <laughs> get there tomorrow. Oh, wonderful <laughs> things. Wonderful <laughs> things. Okay. So it's a quote from A.A. Milne, who, as you probably know, wrote Who There, right? So, um, oh, sorry, Christopher Robert. Um, here is Edward Bear coming downstairs now, bump, 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 on the back of his head behind Christopher Robin. It is, as far as he knows, the only way of coming downstairs. But sometimes he feels there really is another way. If only he could stop bumping for a moment and think of it. <laughs> Isn't that gorgeous? Oh, that is so beautiful. <laughs> and then there's this stunning ambivalent twist. Um, and then the next line is, and then he feels that there perhaps there isn't. Yes. And <laughs> so, there you know, yeah. yeah. You know, we can think, my God, there's got to be a better way of doing this, right? But we're so busy doing it, we can't draw breath. Yeah. Right? And that's where supervision, supervision can really puncture that kind of trance of client client, 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 one after the other, statistics, client, 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 statistics, you know, which was my experience of working in the hospital system. Yes. Um, so that pause point to think about now, how is this impacting me? How is it impacting my client? What do I think about the dilemmas that I'm facing in my work? Um, and, and this can be a really important um, kind of vehicle for assisting practitioners moving towards a more client-centered and a more heart-inclusive practice. Yeah, I love because that, client-centered and heart-inclusive. I love it. It's great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. Oh, it. You can have it. <laughs> oh, I will. I'm I'm, sure I'm, I didn't I've stopped I'm sure I didn't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. But then there's, you know, here's the other piece that I love about that quote, um, that last that last line, and and then he feels that perhaps there isn't, you know, a better way of doing things. Um, in that, in in starting to think about attending supervision or starting to think about changing practice, it is so normal to feel extremely ambivalent and quite, and even maybe a little bit afraid, or maybe totally afraid. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. mm. Um, and you know, oh, this is it's just going to be too much, be too much time. And I, I, how am I going to retrain? Da, 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 da. You know, um, will I be good enough? All those kinds of things. And and I think this is where getting the right kind of supervisory relationship um, that is really going to be oriented towards drawing out of you, the supervisee, your strengths base, right? And and as I referenced before, that in knowing in you, that joining with a person in need is the better way to go. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think one of the 
one of the limitations of um, of our profession, and I'm not going to speak for our international colleagues necessarily, but mm-hmm. our understanding mm-hmm, mm-hmm. our understanding of what supervision is and is not is quite rudimentary, I think. Um, and you know, what I was hoping today, if it's okay with you, Tara, is to really open that box and really mm-hmm. dive down a bit more on supervision to help clarify for people what supervision is, what it isn't, um, and you know how it different differs, for example, from a mentoring relationship. So is that okay with you? Totally. Let's go there. Awesome. Let's go. Door open. I said box. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Door, box, whatever. (laughs) Um, So let's start off right at the start. So can you, do you mind speaking a little bit about what supervision is and maybe specifically how it differs from mentoring as we understand it through Ditex? Thank you. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. All righty. Um, okay. What supervision is <clears throat> and what mentoring is? Well, let's start with mentoring. So mentoring is typically, uh, you know, there are so many different versions of this, but I, I'm going to roll with this, okay? Mentoring is typically a, a, a teacher-student oriented relationship, okay? Um, in that there'll be one member of the partnership who has a particular knowledge that the other member of the partnership is wanting to get so they can develop their practice. Um, and, um, and that's wonderful. Yeah. Professional supervision. Oh, heavens no. No, no, no. Um, and professional supervision is an anti-mentoring. Not at all, because at I all. think in some conversations there has been almost a pitting against of the two, you know, the two have been pitted against each other, when in actual fact I, I see it almost like um, a little bit like if you can imagine in your mind's eye, a bit like a Venn diagram, except one circle completely eclipses the other in that mentoring as a circle is completely eclipsed by professional supervision, which would have elements of mentoring in it, but that's not all professional supervision delivers. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So professional supervision is a much broader scope um, that potentially looks at at matters on a, on a deeper level, for example, or a more nuanced level or more thoroughly in terms of um, the dynamics that may be at play in any challenge that a practitioner would be delivering, would be bringing to their professional supervision. So professional supervision is, is a safe and confidential space between a supervisor and a supervisee that has two main arms that blend, right? One arm is the the client welfare. The other is the development, practice and welfare of the practitioner. And, of course, you know, you can see those two arms blend because the development and welfare of a practitioner is going to ensure a good client client service. Um, But I guess what comes to supervision is typically... A client dilemma what what gets debriefed in supervision will be around the client but also around the development and the welfare of the practitioner mm. um, and you know the, the the whole heart of supervision is that the, the the bringing forward of the skill level of the practitioner so really 
um, I wouldn't say teaching was at the heart of supervision, but, but certainly development of the practitioner is at the heart of supervision. The practitioner's learning, right? Yeah, and being able to, um, what I really appreciate most or what I feel like I've got out of most, uh, got out of supervision the most is the mm. ability to tune in to my own experiences as I mm-hmm. work with people who are sometimes slash often coming with quite, quite complex um, or distressing kind of situations. So I'm able to, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's actually part of skill development. It's not some magical thing that is bestowed upon you. It is, there's yeah. a reason they call lots of these things practice is because yeah, it, it's practice but um yeah i love the way that you describe that as as two arms i think it's a really helpful way to do it so in other words it's mm-hmm. kind of like you know some kind of case case content mm-hmm. type of thing mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. under i was going to say overlaying that but it's not over it's under underpinning that is really mm-hmm. laying down a fun mm-hmm. foundation of understanding on a on a deeper more experiential level you know what's going what's going on within that case for us for our client and between us and our client yeah yeah at the context of the client the context of the practitioner the context of the client and the practitioner you know there's so many potential layers to this um and you know the the supervisor certainly has an eye on the client experience because you know there's a responsibility to ensure that guidance is given regarding the best possible service for the client um, so there's one eye on that. There's also one eye on the development of the practitioner to deliver that service and also, you know, restorative factors as well. How is the practitioner coping with this demand yeah. or, or, or this, this particular strain? Um, and, yeah, so there are just, you know, it, it's, when we talk about what is supervision, oh, my goodness, it's a stunning tapestry <laughs> of, <laughs> of, of you know skill and and um, uh, insight oriented experience way. between mm. between two people you know mm. um, and in lots of that, ways I guess supervision is really it's a very unique to each person I mean I, I think about mm. my own experience as a supervisee and then my experience as a supervisor of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, a number of dietitians and I think yeah well um, I one of my aims is to provide a space which meets the needs of each of my supervisees you know so it's not a cookie cutter type of situation Mm. Um, it's client-centered yeah there you go Mm -hmm. (laughs) client-centered so Tara I've got I've got a couple of questions here that I, I I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget um, to ask you now one question I had is how would a dietitian know if they needed supervision uh, if they have a job Next question. <laughs> am I human do I have a job <laughs> do I see other humans in my work <laughs> okay that's, that's pretty easy then <laughs> I, love oh, well, I mean I can finesse that a little bit more I mean if you're working you know in a lab or something, uh, you might need therapy, but um, you're probably not going to, you know. But I, I guess if, 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 seriously, if you are working with, um, with people who are coming to you uh, looking for guidance, they struggle receiving that guidance or they are in distress states or there are other complications, um, and I would say that would be everyone, you know, 
sure. uh, then supervision is is uh, wise. Supervision is wise mm. Mm, and valuable. I can't think of anybody who would not benefit from it. So in terms of answering who needs it, I would say everyone. Yeah. What do you think it is about, um, do you think it's more we're in our infancy of understanding the value of it or what do you, Yes. what's your yes. observation? of? Yes. I, I think we're in our infancy of understanding it. Um, I also think that, that we're in the process, we're in the beginnings of a well, maybe not the very beginnings, but I think we are in the early stages anyway of a cultural shift. As as we move towards um, a, a different understanding of our scope of practice in working with eating behaviours, um, and 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 therefore the the counselling aspect and the hundreds of shades of grey that we deal with um, when we're no longer educators imparting data. Um, that I think that in that cultural shift, um, we're getting more curious about, about the necessity of support around what in many cases is very great. You know, it's, it's so much easier when we were just kind of more machine-like in our assessment and imparting of information. Um, and now it's become suddenly, well, it, it feels like it's, become suddenly but I think it always was it just we, we weren't engaging in in it it's more complicated than that mm. and I think the other cultural shift that is happening as well which I just embrace wholeheartedly and I try very hard to be at the core of Pavestones everything that Pavestones does is that you know he, here's something that happened to me as an intern and um and at a recent training somebody said that happened to me too um is that I was told by one of my supervisors, um, and this is not supervisor in the traditional sense, if you like, right? Yes. Um, uh, my intern supervisor, if you like, um, that it was wonderful. <clears throat> I think you've heard me share this story, Pete. It was, I wrote down every single thing that this supervisor said. I was on my renal placement. She had a stunning brain. Um, renal scared the living daylights out of me. So everything she said I wrote down in my book, right? Um, and I, you know, she turned to me one day. She was a lovely woman, just so appreciated my time with her. And she said, it's so good that you're writing everything down, Tara, because when you graduate, you can't ask anymore. <laughs> oh, wow. So I guarantee you I wrote that down as well, right? <laughs> yeah. I was so anxious. I was incredibly anxious oh and I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> oh. So, you know, so I think I was coming into uh, I was coming into the profession believing I needed to know everything, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and that that was that was expected of me as a, as somebody who had graduated. You know, I'd done all my reading and I knew it all now. So I, I, I you know, you, you shouldn't ask. Um, and and I think that culture is changing. I think. I think it is really, really changing. I think there is there are elements of it that still hold us back. Um, but I think in being able to share vulnerabilities and actually embrace not knowing. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, because it is in that that the growth occurs. Yes. As soon as we let go mm -hmm. of the driving and the striving and the yeah, yeah the attachment, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. We, 
we don't grow if we think we know. We only grow when we don't know. So let's all do a bit of not knowing. Yes. Yeah, let's practice not knowing. But the good thing is let's practice not knowing together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and with safety. I have to underscore yeah. that. You know, I'm, I'm talking as if that's, that's, that's just a given. But, of course, it is not always a given. Sure, sure. Um, and, you know, I, I really respect people that are struggling in contexts where it is not safe to not know. Um, no, uh, yeah, absolutely. And who, who definitely mm. need more specific, um, tailored kind of support. Um, mm-hmm. So they're able to be able to uh, cope in a, in a situation where mm. it doesn't feel safe to say, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. understand our own yeah, or I'm feeling lost. Yeah, yes, which is so common, mm. goodness. Um, you know, we've all felt like that. Yeah. Um, oh, my God, I got in my supervisor and says, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I know, I was about to say I did the same thing yesterday in supervision myself. <laughs> Help! Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How did I find myself here, right? And you trace back the story and you see how it unfolded and, and then you think, wow, gosh, guess I won't be trying to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> guess not. Whoops. <laughs> so, That's Tara, right. so, I'm interested to hmm. hear um, um, what... Uh, I don't, I don't love this word, but um, what, uh, quote unquote, should, what should good supervision feel like? Okay. What should it feel like? When I leave from a really good supervision mm, mm, session, mm, mm, mm. you know, what what are the indications that tell me that that was worthwhile, that it was, you know, I'm in the right spot yeah. with a good person. Yeah, there are, exactly. There are so many adjectives that come to mind but or descriptions or, you know, what we'd be looking out for. I think um, relieved can be one sense, right? It's like something's been lifted. Maybe, maybe that was an expectation of self. Maybe it was a worry, maybe a concern. Clarity is another thing. Ah, oh, I've got something I'm able to roll with. I've got something that I can test out. I've got something I feel confident to do. I have a way forward. Right? So a sense of movement would be another thing. Um, affirmed. It's really important to feel that you, whatever, whatever you came into supervision with, you leave somehow feeling more, more topped up, so maybe your cup's at quarter full, you leave, it's half full, right? So, you know, maybe it's, it's three quarters full and you're brimming, right? You're brimming leaving that supervision. Like something, something really restorative has happened. Um, and, it, of course, it would depend what you brought to supervision and how you would want to feel because, of course, if you go to supervision feeling that you're drowning, not waving, then... Uh, uh, myself, I would want to feel leaving leaving supervision that you know I'd been pulled out of the pool, right, yeah. and dried off and 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 made safe again. So in in that sense, that that you know I'd be feeling incredibly relieved and grateful um, that 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 I'd received that sort of almost life saving assistance in a way. We're not talking. I'm talking metaphorically there, of course, but but it's like oh wow, going into supervision thinking 
this is a disaster and leaving thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm out of the depths, I'm good. Okay, it's still, it's still a mess, but I know how we're going to proceed now. Yeah, that's so nice. So, was, um, so to summarise that, the words, I wrote them down actually because they were so poignant. So you said mm-hmm. relief, uh, clarity. Mm-hmm. So a sense mm-hmm. of that I've, uh, I've got a sense of moving forward. Um, forward movement. Forward mm-hmm. movement. And I loved how you uh, described feeling affirmed so that your mm-hmm. um, that your cup is filled just a little more. So it may not be full to the brim, mm-hmm. um, but that you're yeah. feeling more, uh, whether that's capable, confident, um, mm-hmm. um, secure, safe, um, contained mm-hmm. maybe I know some I know that's mm-hmm. I always feel really safe and contained when I leave I'm like okay th- okay so several aspects of this particular situation are all going are all going to shit pretty much <laughs> but mm-hmm. I don't feel like mm-hmm. I'm going mm-hmm. to shit with this situation I feel like I have yeah spaciousness yeah yeah lovely and you know Fia, if I'm listening to you feed those things back to me and then add yours uh, I'm noticing that Oh, there, there can it. There's a thread to. There's a kind of a theme to what we're sharing, which is all very. Um, how do I say it? Nice doesn't cut it, but let's say kind of nice. You know, they're good to experience. And you know, the other element of excellent supervision is that there will be moments where you're feeling a little bit irritated by it. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, but of course, in a safe way. But you might you might think I don't want to hear that, or oh God, are you serious? I'm going to have to do that. So it, this is you also within the within the context of a really safe alliance with your supervisor. Good supervision is going to provide challenge and therefore discomfort because remember we're trying to we're using supervision to wake up from bumping our head down the stairs. You know, so that. Because even though bumping our head down the stairs feels, you know, like Christopher Robin's teddy bear, feels uncomfortable, it's what we always do. And so changing can feel extremely uncomfortable and also confronting too. Mm-hmm. So there is that element of supervision that is going to be shaking things up a little bit. Mm. Um, now, of course, maybe you don't want to be doing that every time you see your supervisor, but good supervision is going to have provision and scope and safety for that as well. Yes, and a good supervisor will be able to understand, will be able to come to understand you and your experience and your capacity and your strengths. Yep. Um, yes. You know, building a relationship around understanding you as a as a human being, not just a dietitian, not just a practitioner, but as a whole human being, yeah, yeah. you know, and we'll get to understand um, how to um, help you develop skills to be able to sit with discomfort and developing those, mm-hmm. you know, those soothing strategies that, uh, frankly, we all need. <laughs> oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and supervision is going to make space for that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I can think of, you know, my current supervisor now who I've been with for many years, you know, needing to raise some things with me that I really didn't want to hear. Yeah. Um, and she made space for me to say, you can disagree with this, Tara, if you want to. I really think this is something that you need to do, right? 
and um, then you, you spend time debriefing my own supervisee's anxiety about that, what comes up around that, how does this challenge as you, how you see yourself as a practitioner, and and how what, in what way would this align with your values as a practitioner, um, and what would be valuable about taking this risk? Um, so asking questions, so, providing a space in the service of your growth. Coffee, I think I just lost you. Are you still there? Yeah. Can you hear yeah. me okay? Yeah, I can hear. Oh, I just got a little sign saying your internet connection is unstable, but I can hear you now just fine. Can you oh. say that again, what you just said? Sure. Um, I think I said, <laughs> I can't remember exactly what you said. <laughs> said something like uh providing uh, providing the support and the space in the service of your growth as supervisor yes yes absolutely absolutely and you know I, I i'm going to make an absolute rubbish attempt of quoting the dalai lama and i, I and i apologize to anybody who i may offend right as i proceed but but you know he has a stunning quote which goes something roughly like you know i don't know anybody who who has grown from joy I wish I did. Mm -hmm. It's our discomfort that holds our growth. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for that, that space where our discomfort can be held in a, in compassion. Um, yes. And where we're able to, yeah, to grow from our discomfort rather than shrinking away yeah. from it or avoiding or yeah. attaching to it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And while while supervision does does contain aspects that will be directive and will be educatory, I think that it's it's the supervisor's capacity to develop reflective practice. You know, to to um, invite reflective practice of the supervisee is where that kind of growth happens um and um you know i I, this is always the underpinning of um the supervision that i do my best to try and provide my supervisees is a space where they can stop and think and reflect and draw on their own understanding Mm. to further their skill and development so mm. yeah i consider it for me and i'm going to i'm going to jump into an assumption here but i know at the same time i'm very interested in in your experience of this but i consider it such a huge honor when people ask you know would you would you be my supervisor i consider it a mm. massive honor for someone like our clients to trust mm-hmm. trust me enough with um with the whole spectrum of experience so with the, mm-hmm. the you know the joyful times and the and the really shitty shitty stuff mm-hmm. um and everything in between mm-hmm. it's a massive honor mm. oh yes you, you're sitting in a, in a chair that you can't take for granted right it's yeah. it's um something to be profoundly respectful of mm-hmm. and um, um, when you're providing supervision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Tara, mm-hmm. my next question is, um, should, uh, for, for dietitians, should, uh, a, a diet, should 
a supervisor be another dietitian or in what situations might be it be appropriate to choose a supervisor from another profession? Well, that's a really good question. I, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination your supervisor needs to be of the same profession as you. It really depends what you want to learn and what areas that you're working in. Um, so I, you know, I, I think as typically if it's not going to be a dietitian, it's probably going to be a counsellor or a psychologist or, or somebody of that kind of orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, but there would be variations on that theme too. But I, I think, no, don't limit yourself to seeing another dietitian um, unless what, what, what was at, excuse me, at the heart of what you wanted to learn was something only a dietitian was able to provide structured reflective practice around. Yes. Um, is that too general, that answer, or is that... No, I think that's, of, I think that's perfect. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I always um, encourage people to look around. There's no reason yes. why, for example, you should have one supervisor. In my career, I've had one supervisor. I've had two. I don't think I've ever had three. I think that's a bit overkill. Um, but mm-hmm. I've certainly spent a lot of years with two um, from, from a couple of different professions. And that was really based mm-hmm. on meeting my needs at at one particular time um agreed yeah yeah and yeah. you know uh, thinking deeply about what you need and then thinking about what what kind of person might meet those needs and it's okay to take your time to look around as well um mm-hmm. sometimes hard when we don't exactly know what we're looking for which mm-hmm. which kind of brings me to my next question and that mm-hmm. is um, where people might find a supervisor. So mm-hmm. one thing that I want to chat with you about when we hang up, Tara, if this is okay, mm-hmm. is um, I was wondering whether you and I might kind of put together a bit of a, um, a document where people who are currently supervising um, dietitians um, and who are getting supervision themselves like as in both mm-hmm. of those things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, sure, sure. Um, you know, where we, you know, we're, we're able to have people say, you know, this is what I offer, this is where I work, this is what I'm interested in, and so mm-hmm. that people can contact them. It's like interviewing. You know, it's like I, I think everybody should be interviewed personally. Oh, for sure. If, you, if you're looking for a supervisor, definitely have a chat to them before you make a booking. If, yeah. And if they don't offer that, then maybe move on. <laughs> because I think I think anybody, yeah, every anybody who's offering supervision in, in in a professional and trained capacity really understands one of the foundational underpinnings of good supervision is a match between the supervisee and the supervisor. Mm-hmm. And I think okay, it, it might take a couple of actual sessions to work out if there is a match, but let's just start with a conversation over the phone, you know, and that, and that's going to be time limited and all of those sorts of things. But, you know, it's, I've found over the years that to be extremely beneficial um, in uh, supervisees who've made inquiries about my service, because for some of them, I'm just, just not the right person. Um, And then helping them to find who that right person might be, um, you know, is something that I'm very happy to contribute to. um, So I, I, um, I think finding a match is really important and in terms of finding somebody, I think I think one of the challenges is because we're at the beginnings of this in the dietetic profession, it is hard to find somebody. 
Um, and chances are you will get more opportunities outside of dietetics um, in seeing, you know, getting cross-professional um, supervision. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we do, I think, for those, for those people listening that are members of DAA, I think, I think Members Connect is going to be updating in the next, who knows how long it's going to take, but <laughs> in the next period of time to, <laughs> to include a, a supervi- a, a, an option to um, promote your, your services as supervisor. Oh. So that's going to be one way to identify yourself for other members um, you'd like to receive supervision from. But, you know, don't, 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 don't limit yourself to dietetics. Don't limit yourself to Australia. There's absolutely no need to do that. No, I Um, And also the other thing to think about too is if you have the opportunity to join group supervision, that is wonderful, right, really wonderful. And group supervision for the people who don't know fee, I guess there would be people listening that don't necessarily know much about that. Should I say a bit more? Please do. Yes, that's great. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. So typically, that's going to be meeting in a in a group where there's where there's a principal supervisor who is facilitating and guiding the discussion. Where each member of the group, assuming that there's enough time for everybody, how many people are in the group, has the opportunity to spend thirty minutes or so presenting a dilemma or a client. And then the principal supervisor is going to lead um, the debriefing of that. And then when that sort of feels like it comes to a natural end, then invite perspectives from members of the group. Um, and uh, I attend group supervision and we, there's a, a, a really interesting, very eclectic mix of practitioners. Nobody in the group works with eating behaviours. Um, and I find it invaluable in terms of stepping outside of my silo and learning from other perspectives and contexts um, and also appreciating the universality of so much of what we struggle with when we assist people to change, you know. Um, And so that that can be a really rich learning experience. And, I mean, when I say eclectic mix, I, I really mean very eclectic. There's, uh, in my group, there's a psychodynamic psychotherapist there's a counselor who works with gender issues and a chaplain who works in palliative care so Mm. you know (laughs) so and then there's me so um it's it's really a a restorative couple of hours that i i'm very appreciative of so there's another thing to consider as well um that's brilliant Mm. Yeah, what mm. a great idea. And that, and that that work could potentially work really well if you're rural or remote um, or yes. you, know, you can't find somebody to sit down with in person. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank goodness for uh, Zoom and Skype and all these yeah. platforms that we can yeah. do online-based work. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. So, so in other words, um, it looks as if there'll be an evolving place where people can can find a supervisor. And in the meantime, um, you know, um, I would direct people to practice Paystones to um, to your. Uh, to your uh, not only your website which is not practice pavestones that's taramcgregor.com.au mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. but to your newsletter um, and you know anybody is welcome to contact me directly or otherwise put a, put a little fo- post up on the Facebook group and say hey I'm yes. in uh, for example Wangaratta rural Victoria looking for a supervisor um, you know in these particular areas you know, yeah, right. You know, it's great. It's great, great. Way to connect. 
have a shout out, see who puts up their hand. Yeah. Um, and uh, speaking to your colleagues and your colleagues receiving supervision. Um, that's how I found my current supervisor. So, um, uh, and then Googling around. Googling, sure. Googling, sure. Good old but googling, googly, googly. Um, but I, I guess for the other thing that I realised that we, we didn't mention is that there actually is a list of supervisors hidden, oh, <laughs> hidden yes, on the DIA website. If you go to the Eating Disorder Interest Group web page, right, and then you click on resources or supervision resources, something like that, then and you scroll down that page. Uh, then there is uh, something like contact list for supervisors, something like that. If you click on that, then you get a whole heap of numbers split into states. Um, the list does need updating, but um, I will get around to that some stage. Um, but um, yeah, that's that's also a great starting point as well. But, yeah, and they're, they're just people who've self-nominated as providing supervision. It's not vetted by the DIA or anything like that. It's just people who nominate themselves to provide this service. Yeah, great. It's a good start, though. and um, It is a good and, start, you know, yeah. Hopefully, based on our conversation today, people can have a bit of clarity around what the, f mm. the feel of good supervision is um, and to mm -hmm. have a bit of clarity about what what, what each of us are, are actually looking for. Um, so aside from um, that, uh, you know, where to find a supervisor, did you also want to talk a little bit about the document that you have recently been heavily involved in developing, which also sits on the website? Yes, except it doesn't sit on the website. <laughs> Where does it sit then? Well, well, it depends. It depends which it depends which document. So, the, so the the document you may be referring to is is this it? Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, understanding supervision for APDs is that yeah, the that's one? It. Yep, that's the one. Yes, that is on the website. You are absolutely correct. Okay, cool. And same, same. You'll find it the same way as the contact list. Got it. Um, so and hidden. Yeah, hidden, hidden. <laughs> and next year we have uh, we have a project. We're waiting for approval from the DA. We have a project for getting uh, a page on the home page of yeah. the DA, not hidden anymore, with all this great information about supervision on it. It's probably be under professional toolbox. Um, and this will be one of the documents that is right up on that page. Um, understanding supervision for accredited practicing dietitians, and it's got lots of um, lots of great information. Um, and uh, Fiona, you contributed to that document, myself, and also Laura Kiley, a colleague in, in Western Australia. And um, it's a it, it's a really comprehensive, um, meaty, but not you know not overwhelming but there's lots it's there's not a lot of wasted words in this document we tried to keep it as concise as possible um to give apds um a really good sort of leg up into understanding what what supervision is all about and there's a couple of case studies in there too where we talk about hypothetical um outcomes from a supervision session and what would be discussed in supervision around those case studies so um it's a really well if we do say so ourselves we it's, it's a good document right <laughs> Um, and again, on the eating disorder interest group web web page, scroll down to resources. I think that's supervision resources, and then scroll down and pick up um, this document. Understand supervision for APDs. Yes, exactly. So we need to um, offer um, a heartfelt apology to those people who are not DIA members because mm. it, is, it is stuck behind the membership um, mm. password 
business. Um, so we do apologise for that. Um, but, uh, and for those reasons, I can't put a direct link to those pages, unfortunately. Um, but what I will do is try and describe it in as great detail as I can in terms of how to get there. So if you are a member, that you know exactly how um, how to get there. So hopefully yeah. that will be really helpful. Great. Yeah. Um, so just to kind of, um, just to uh, round us off, Tara, and mm -hmm. this has been such an amazing discussion. So just incredibly grateful for your for your wisdom, for your experience, and being so generous with your with your time and energy at such a busy time of the year. Oh, it's um, my pleasure, Fee. Oh, thank you. I'm really glad we got to fit it in. I know, just in the nick of time. Is there anything that feels um, a little bit like a loose end for you at this point in time? Um, well, we, missed? Well, we could talk we could do another hour no no oh. problem but we won't because because it's time to finish up now but um no i think this has been um this has been a really uh uh feels a kind of slow and steady way to move into discussing supervision you know i love the way that we took that journey Oh, I used the J word. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, through uh, through the tra I guess through the evolution of dietetics, which I kind of feel we're in the process of in many ways, and and how that is actually inviting um, supervision as part of our essential practice. And um, you know, this podcast will be irrelevant in ten years' time, mm -hmm. right? People will know about it and they'll be getting it. They'll be like, yeah, I got it already. Yeah, that's so, it. Hopefully, yeah, we'll be, um, we'll be moved on to the next exciting instalment of... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it, it, it's interesting. I mean, just, just to pick up on just something very briefly what you said there, and that is, you know, it's an essential part of practice rather than an add-on. Yes, completely. It should not oh, be that, an add-on. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's essential. Yeah. It's essential. Yeah. And I think... The sustainable... At sustainable underscore sustainable ethical high quality practice absolutely and mm -hmm. and at the same time you know we we understand both you and I as people who have been uh, had our own supervision for many years we understand that from a financial perspective that it seems mm -hmm. like you know um, that it's just another thing that you have to pay for mm -hmm. it. Um, you know I mean gosh I get so much more I, I get so much reward out of engaging a super it definitely makes me a better supervisor there's no doubt about that mm. um mm. and mm. yeah so i think some of the pushback around the finances is around just making a personal decision about how you want to invest in your own growth so yeah, yeah. definitely and and from my personal perspective i wouldn't have the job that i have without supervision i don't know what job i'd have um it would be nowhere near as awesome yeah, uh, or, or maybe your marriage, or maybe your yeah, yeah. oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna wait, yeah, totally. You know, where would I be without it? And I think so. Why would I add up the cost? You know, because it's priceless. Yeah, yeah. in so many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Tara, so grateful for you. Just so. Oh, uh, thank you, Fee, and really, thank you for all the work you're doing with the mindful dietitian in you know i i just um take my hat off to your ability to navigate the social media space as you know i am seriously handicapped in that department 
And to know that, you know, somebody is across it who's sending out these opportunities for people to um, engage in different ways of thinking about work um, is just superb. So thank you for all the work that you do as well. Well, thank you, Tara. Now, just, just to finish this off very finally, um, can you please tell people where they can find you? Yes. Um, my website. Uh, well, I'd say my Instagram page, but I've like posted one thing all year, so that's a bit pathetic. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, my website is www.thenmynametaramcgregor.com.au, and if you, uh, if people were kind of interested in the way that I look at things and talk about things, then you can get a little taste every month in your inbox um, via my newsletter, which is Practice Pavestones. And um, you can sign up to that on my webpage. It's very easy to find the sign-up form. Um, if you wanted to have a taste of my newsletter before you signed up to anything, um, you can go to the blog page because it's called a blog, but it's not. It's just my newsletter. And you can have a little read of some of the things that I share and invite people to think about. And um, please feel free to, to sign up and um, look forward to meeting anyone who's listening who's thinking of coming along to some training. So... Yeah, brilliant. So worth it. So you grab a cup of beautiful tea of your choice or a margarita if that's your style too um, when you're reading Practice Pavestones because it really is truly nourishing. It's a it's mm -hmm. the most beautiful, um, you know, you can, you can tell that Tara puts a lot of um, time and effort and um, as you've heard today, Tara's got an incredible sense of humour um, and that really comes through in your newsletter and your training as well, which I just absolutely adore. So thank you once again, Tara. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Fee. <laughs> Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone.